Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, may you please take your seats as the show is about to start. Hi, I'm Kami Sharia. And I'm Monica Ainley. And you're listening to Fashion No Filter, where we sit down with some of the lead creatives, strategic thinkers, and emerging talent around us to interpret the ins and outs of the fashion industry today. What should we talk about? What today? Yeah. I think we should, I don't know. Should we introduce our guest? We should introduce our guest. I'm quite excited about this guest. I know. He's it's like, funny because he's such an industry insider name. Yeah. But I feel like people who don't know much about the behind the scenes in the fashion industry will not know who this is. Yeah, he's one of those people where if you work in fashion, he's a huge deal. And if you don't, you might not have ever heard of him. But you might still find what he does very interesting. Mm. Because Alexandre Betac is basically to a large extent, responsible for modernizing the fashion show as we know it today. Would you say that? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, certainly I know that as an industry showgoer, as someone who gets invited to go to the parties and the shows, when you enter an event that feels bigger or because the set is just more intricate and you walk into better. a room, it's just better. Magical. You walk in and you just, there's there's something in the air and yeah. you, you just know that this is going to be a bit extra. Now, obviously with time, you sort of, there are some brands that you know work with him, but I remember going to an event once which had nothing to do with the fashion industry and I was like, I know this is Bitak, and I went to ask someone on the door, and it was. Oh, really? What was the event? It was an Omega, you know, the watches, yeah. event at the Tate Modern, and they had oh, wow. astronauts leading us into the building. Astronauts? Ast real astronauts. Then, in you know, <laughs> the Royal Turbine Hall had been completely darkened down, and there were, like, all these weird flashes of light coming through, and then you sat down in these gigantic tables, and all the food was, I don't know how you say sous vide in English. You know when you, like, suck the air out of something? Oh, yeah. Um, air-packed, like yeah, airtight. Air because, like, it was pretending that you were in, in a space. rocket in space. Did you go to the bathroom, like, in space as well? No, and then Buzz Aldrin flew down from the ceiling. What? Well, we thought it was Buzz Aldrin, but actually Buzz Aldrin was, well, Buzz Aldrin was there. Is this but, when you met Buzz Aldrin? Yes, this is when I met Buzz Aldrin, and I went to see him, and I said to him, <laughs> I cried, and I said, I never expected to meet someone who'd walked on the moon. Anyway, it was a Bureau Bittac event. You all owe this all to one man. One man who has produced over a thousand fashion shows, in fact. Over the past 25 years. When he founded his company, Bureau Bitac, he has 
spent his whole career dreaming up beguiling parallel universes for us and obviously now with social media they are shared to a much broader audience which is great for all of you because you get to experience some of the magic that we experience yeah that we're privileged to experience i think it really does come down to his unique creativity and how forward looking alexandre is as well he wants to move into the future at all times so if there's anyone that has a crystal ball in terms of where the fashion world is going mm. it's him and i am really looking forward to hearing what he thinks the fashion show is going to develop into into the in the next 10 15 years he also you know has his eye on the ball in terms of sustainability which is great and i think that if anyone can help us move away from the super structured fashion week schedule that a lot of us lament I mean, there are over 116 fashion weeks. Yeah, we tried to count how many fashion weeks. You know that expression, it's always fashion week somewhere. Monica and I were joking about that when we were like, should we be giving a history of the fashion show? And we tried to go and look online to see how many shows there were. It's absurd. It's surreal. So you could basically spend What was your... that one that I couldn't pronounce? Sibley? No, the one in Canada. Oh, Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan Fashion She Week. She was like, is that a place? It is. Saskatchewan Fashion Week. We're coming for you next year. Oh, guys, Cam, don't be rude about Saskatchewan. Sorry. Maybe some of our listeners are from Saskatchewan. Sorry, if any of our listeners are from Saskatchewan, please send us a DM. I would love to know what it's like. My fellow countrymen in the prairies. Anyway, if, if you've ever <sighs> wanted to know how a fashion show is put together, everything that goes on behind the stage, behind the stage backstage or, uh, backstage what's wrong with me today behind the scenes everything that goes on behind the scenes before or after the event this is the one for you alexander bitak is brilliant he was also one of the first people who integrated the notion of instagram and digital sharing because did yeah. you know that he was one of the first people who realized that editors were scrambling around in their looking bags, for their phones looking for their phones before the finale yeah. so he factored in that so that people could like start filming Have time when the to models film were them. filming out yeah and he also created exciting moments that were short enough for stories Presenting Alexandre Betac. Note to our listeners. The news of the Victoria's Secret show's official cancellation had not come out prior to the recording of this episode. Speaking of English, Alex, is it your voice that we hear on the loudspeakers at the beginning of a fashion show that says, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, please uncross your legs? Uncross your legs. It is indeed. It is indeed. I, I, I usually try to start very nicely I say, ladies and gentlemen, you know, please take your seat. The show's about to start. Then I repeat it a bit less nicely. And when I have to do it three times, I say it very, very strongly the last time. <laughs> This is a revelation for me. I had no idea it was actually you. Will you, yes. will you do one for us so that we can put it at the beginning of the show? Like as if we were actually... One of three. Because <laughs> the yeah. third one is much better. Yeah, let's hear like <laughs> the first one and then the third one. No, the first one. one goes usually, ladies and gentlemen, uh, may you please take your seats as the show is about to start. And then the second already gets a bit strong. Or the third one when the third one goes, ladies and gentlemen, can you please take your seat now as the show is about to start? <laughs> Or it goes, can you please take your seat now? We're going to start the show immediately. And what about uncross your legs? And the uncross legs I don't do so often. Uh, That's the press, uh, isn't it, in the pit? I mean, usually in the pit, they scream it. They I mean, scream. obviously, the only one who has a microphone to do it would be me. So in the pit, just before the show starts, some photographers scream because they're close to the, well, you know, because the people close to them have, have, have their legs in their shot. I don't really say uncross the legs. I sometimes say, you know, please make sure you stay back in your seats or but, something like that. But why do they say uncross your legs so that it doesn't block the photography? 
No, that you see so on you photograph. Have, so you don't have the leg in every photography. Yeah, that's When the right. runway is very narrow and you're dead center on the floor in the pit, if your leg is out, then you get your leg in the, in the shot. It's just like, I guess when you're like, especially if you're sitting in the front row, you want to look your chicest, I suppose. And no, exactly. I feel it's rather unchic to have your legs open. <laughs> but anything yeah, for anything is, for the photo. Well, to be well, honest, they're so is... squished on the front row. There's... Exactly. That's the other thing. If you cross your legs, you're a bit smaller. Tighter. But anyway... Anyway, Alex, we, we mentioned this in the, in the introduction, but you're known for your immensely creative brain. We often think when we arrive at these sets, how on earth did he think of how that? How did he think of this? So take us back. What were you like as a child? Were you building <laughs> insanely creative uh, sandcastles on the beach? It's hard to tell. I'm not sure. I don't remember much sandcastles. Uh, maybe it wasn't much on the beach. I probably wasn't much on the beach, and I'm still not much on the beach at all. I'm not a beach person. I was, I guess, very free. I was very lucky. I grew up in Paris in a very uh, uh, free-spirited uh, environment and family. I was kind of the only man together with my grandfather, but he's a couple of generations older. So it was kind of the man of my household and the man of the family. I have a sister and a mother and a grandmother. And that probably gave me a mix of responsibilities in an old-fashioned manner. But we're talking old-fashioned because it was back then. And, and a huge amount of freedom, I guess. I don't have concrete examples. I was very anal and very uh, uh, perfectionist, as I am now, probably. I did play with light very, very early on. I think, you know, before I was 10, you had to press a button and wait for the green light so that you could enter my bedroom. So this is a true story. <laughs> I was building with electronics and electricity a lot. Um, I was taking pictures a lot. I had a, 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 what do you call it? I had a dark room in my mother's bathroom, which wasn't to everybody's enjoyment, but mine. <laughs> it stinks, you know, when you play with acetic acid early in the morning <laughs> before people wake up and they have to go put their makeup on. Oh, <laughs> brush their teeth. And brush their teeth. And confuse it my, with my, the, with the tube of acid. The, you know, in the fixative for the next hour because they're still, <laughs> they're still there finishing. Um, yes, I did do a lot of these things. I did do a lot of these things. I did build machines. I designed arrangements of stuff from whatever, I guess, from uh, little robots and little animals and little things to the rest of the family's objects and turn them into configurations and, 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 and then shut them and then print the pictures and then whatever. So all this probably led to what it is that I do today. So were you a movie dev or were you a good dev? A bit of both. You were good at school? I was not bad at school, though I didn't do much. I didn't prep. I was uh, very undisciplined, but not in a mean way, just in a free-form kind of way. And I guess I was very ADD, and I still am. And so I was kind of there and not there and not attending much, but I was doing pretty well. I didn't prep much, but I did finish school. I was more interested in everything else but what I was asked to be focusing on, but I but, but I was okay. And did you go, did you study in university after? No. You I were like a creative bit time. too impatient. I mean, I enrolled in a few. I enrolled in Sorbonne. I lasted two hours, but it looked beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Monica went to science. Amazing. You did? Yeah, for a year. For a year? Well, because oh. I was, I did Erasmus. Okay. Yeah. I did for two hours. But it was the first, uh, you know, the first amphi class in the old Sorbonne. In yeah, the yeah, yeah. That's what I did. In the main amphitheater. It's beautiful. Which I think I enrolled mainly because of the look of the building and my curiosity of looking inside you of it. A show there. I did, of course. <laughs> of course. Way later, of course, I did. I did. I did have to go back. I enrolled in Sorbonne. But but the truth is, yeah, I sat down and I think, okay, this is not for me. I'm never going to last a minute in here. What were you way, signed up to way, study? Way, way, way. I signed up in in, in, in Sorbonne in pff, language and literature, which is bullshit. I mean, I, I signed up 
knowing I was not going to go. I just, I, I like the idea of having a carte d'étudiant. So it was very mm -hmm. chic. And I love the idea of stepping into the amphi of Sorbonne. Then I went to Bocconi in Milan and I kind of enrolled partially on the economics and whatever. But the first thing I seen when I got there was I kind of set up a club with a friend. It was one day a week. It was called Paris Latino. And it was more about partying. So we'd only go one day a week for the club. And I never actually went to the university. But I, but, but I kind of knew all that. It, it wasn't a surprise. When By the time I finished the bac, which I did at the, the end of school in France, I already had started working. And I knew perfectly I wouldn't have the patience to do anything but go straight into working anyway. And I was already working by then. I mean, when I, I did my bac at 17. And by 17, I was already... By the end of that year, I was already, already working on a show. So what led you to fashion? <laughs> so, th so you were already in interested in fashion? No, I was not interested in fashion specifically. I was interested in creativity and in, in, and, yeah, in creativity in general. I was, in, I was and still am very attracted and interested in pluridisciplinary creativity, however you address it and wherever you, where, wherever you give it. But I uh, started taking pictures, as I said, very early when I... When I was a small child, when I was seven, it's a story I said before, but it's true. My grandfather offered me my first camera. I was a you know, 126 millimeter Astamatic, and I was very seriously studying shooting. And then I was, and then I grew up. And 10 years later, I was still seriously taking pictures. I was working for some Berlitz travel guides when I was a kid, taking pictures for them in Switzerland. Well, they you were employed by them as on a holidays. Child. I would do, yeah, on, on, on holidays, so I would go shoot and sell them the pictures. And then I um, started working for a couple underground magazines like Actuel in France, which I was too young to remember. It was one of the first free... It, 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 it stopped not that long ago, but it was one of the first kind of young and free, trendy magazines of the late 80s, you know. Yeah. Uh, there was a, And there was a couple of those in Spain as well, where I went by chance. And I um, started working while I was in, the, in school, where I was finishing school. I was selling some pictures to some magazines. And that led me to meet some people, amongst which a fashion designer, with whom I started working right away. But totally by chance. Not so much because she was a fashion designer. Because we met when I was in Madrid. It was late 80s, and I loved what she did. I loved the global environment of it. And I proposed to help if she ever came to Paris. And she once came to Paris. Her name was Sibila. Still is Sibila. But she was brand yeah, I was going to ask you about this. Sibila um, Coronado, is that yeah. right? No, Sibila Sorondo. You're not sorry. Sorondo. Totally but she just went by Sibila. And back then I said, yes, sure, I'll help. And she once came and rang and said, hey, I'm here. Do you want to help? And I started doing a mix of art direction and PR and then shows and you name it. There was no name to any of it. And that's how I fell into it. And I think fashion is a coincidence, uh, though I don't believe in coincidences, but it's a, it's a coincidence. It just so happens it was fashion because that person whose talent I wanted to uh, help was a fashion designer. Had she been something else, I, would have, I might have done the same thing for something else. And I still believe today, almost 30 years later, that actually fashion is just a creative means like any other. And it's an amazing one in my case because it allows me to do what I do today and it allows me to do way more than if I did the same thing for other artistic industries, probably. But nevertheless, it was never in itself the reason of it. Mm. And it still not is. The, what interests me the most in what it is that I have the chance to do is, is the fact that in order to serve fashion, not only you can, but you have to use every single creative process you can other than fashion. Of course. And, and were you hooked on this kind of work immediately? Yes and no. I, don't even, I still don't know if I'm hooked on this kind of work. <laughs> I mean, you know, time flies and we do well, but the truth of the matter is I'm, I, I, I never really wanted to name that work. I mean, nowadays when people ask me what I do, I still have a million of hesitation. You know, I mean, I have a large team that's amazing in few places in the world, like in New York and Paris and Shanghai. And, and together with my team, we do a wide array of things. So when you ask 
me what is that I do. I'm not even sure on how to exactly answer it. Mm. And sometimes I say I design events and other times I say I design experiences or I design and produce fashion shows or I design objects or I design places or I design emotions. But to me, it's kind of all the same. Again, I think what we do is a tool to help communicate something. And in our case, most of the time, that something is a fashion brand or fashion collection or sometimes a beauty brand or a jewelry brand or a watch brand or a lifestyle brand. But it's essentially a brand. And I still believe that it's a thing that we could have and we still can use and adapt well to communicate other types of messages, be them more political or social or historical or technological or you name it. It just so happens that the industries of fashion and luxury in general are the ones that actually use it mostly and the best. Use what the kind of things we do. Use mm. a live event, live shows as a promotional tool, as a, as a global promotional tool, as a promotional tool open to the public. Because many industries do live events or experiences as we call them today, but they're only dedicated to the B2B, to the people that they address, mm. to their world. Uh, I think major industries such as pharmaceuticals or aeronautics or tech do a lot of things that we never hear of, or even cars, but we don't hear of it because we're not in there and they only address their own people. Mm, mm. Fashion, everyone hears of it, but they address, it's very high profile, but not only that, they've always, I mean, always, not always, they've in the past few decades started addressing their audience globally, not just the B2B. Well, so you were kind of largely credited for modernizing the fashion show or creating a side of the fashion show that we know today in BOF, you said, I proposed the antithesis of what people were used to seeing. Talk us through that. Like, what was going on before? And what is, does the show look like now that, let's be honest, I mean, is kind I, of your idea? Yeah, I don't know. I think I, I think a great a great chance of mine to go back to your first question, which was yeah. my studies, was probably, yeah. I, I have nothing against studies on the contrary. I have children now and I'm encouraging them to study. But in the same time, I do believe that part of the success I enjoy today was based on that freedom I had of having not learned how to do what it is that I do today. That's interesting. I no idea about so when I started the fashion shows existed but I didn't really know I mean I was curious when I started looking at fashion I was lucky because I was in Paris that I could have access to some of them but the truth is I didn't know anything about any of it when I first started working and for that reason I think I could unconsciously invent what it is that we do today and the way we do it today Uh, fashion shows also it's a it's a matter of times in history at the times I started which was late 80s and the beginning of the 90s uh, when I was really a kid uh, fashion shows were just coming out of being a strictly professional affair I think I started in the mid-century as a salon activity for for clients and for small amount of press Uh, they became an exercise for the press which back then needed six months to digest to to shoot and then print and when I started seeing them and when I started doing them quite audience media started getting interested such as TV and magazines as something to report immediately but not at all the way it really is today I guess because I fell into the beginnings of that interest from wider media I thought to myself if what I have to do is to end up on TV I need to think of that first first as, as, as in the audience that's there regardless is there and of course I have to do well for them but more than just them it's got to be something interesting on tv and tv isn't long the shows were very long back then i started by shrinking the lengths of them by trying to um, increase the intensity of what happens in them by trying to give them a bit more of storytelling or interest for the small screen and for the moving screen to start with because before that they weren't televised so i guess they were filmed in video mm-hmm. and those videos end up in the press offices to show journalists during the season and they would sometimes hardly yet 
uh, end up in screens and stores that even started a bit later because it wasn't yeah. interesting enough. It was too long and too boring to get to be seen in a store. I suppose and, now uh, they're designed for the tiny, tiny screen. And now obviously <laughs> we're doing <laughs> the tiny, 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 tiny screen. We went <laughs> yeah. from the, what was called the small screen, which was TV, to an even smaller screen, which was the, obviously the laptop because a decade later then they went, we went from TV to internet and the start of fashion shows on the web, which again is something that I very early on worked on and tried to help revolutionize. Uh, I, and that is true, so I can still say it, even though it's been a very long time now, kind of helped invent the Victoria's Secret fashion show, specifically dedicated to that revolution in time and the live webcast, of the, well, the, the, the shows on the web in general. And we did the first ever live fashion show on the web with the first Victoria's Secret fashion show we did together, which actually we flew to Cannes on purpose of that live broadcast so that we could address in the evening Europe, in the middle of the day, uh, the West Coast, and I mean, in the afternoon, the, the East Coast, and in the middle of the day, the West Coast, and have a global array mm. of attendance, we broke internet for the first and only ever time ever in history. Uh, uh, the attendance of the live broadcast went so big that this is a moment when it basically, it crashed the internet completely yeah. for a few seconds, I think, uh, minutes. And so that was the beginning so of going from the TV internet. small screen to actually the internet. So we, I, we, we've actually crashed the internet. May of 2000, so almost 20 years ago. We should wow. do a little thing on that actually 20 years later. It's going to be 20 years in May next year. And sadly, the Victoria's Secret fashion show, we stopped doing it many years ago, but they kept on with kind of the same recipe and they sadly crashed uh, the Victoria's Secret fashion show themselves. Well, because they didn't, <laughs> they didn't know how to update themselves. I think yeah. it was back in the day that was a times. formula that worked. Yeah. And now I think women want something different. Yeah. Potentially men want something different too. Well, no, I'm sure. Uh, everyone at a moment in time in history and, and hopefully they will reinvent themselves and, and, and rebirth. You think they might come uh, back? Better. Yeah. I hope, I really hope. I hope the best. But since hope have. We, we had an amazing adventure for a few years together and, yeah. and I really hope them the best. So again, it's not a perfect answer to your original question on uh, what did I study and then how did I start? But to go back to the study factor, I think, because mm. I don't want to close it without saying something mm. uh, that I really, truly believe into and, and mean. I do regret today not having studied, but what I do regret today, I only regret, I mean, I don't have really regrets, but I wish if I had taken the time, and I was way too impatient, so I wouldn't have taken it anyway, I wish I had taken the time to study a lot of the things that would have helped me today, which have nothing to do with what I do directly. So if, I, if back then I knew I was going to do what I do today, I'm glad I didn't know that, and I'm glad I didn't try to study anything for that, because it probably would have been maybe useless. What I wish I did study is a, an array of other things, from philosophy to, to perspective drawing and to techniques of architecture or more even more technical things that I do use today and I've learned them you know uh, 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 as it went or even art history more in depth than I have done myself alone but uh, I think studying is great and especially to do something like what I do those things that have no name and that I helped invent what they are if you can have a bigger cultural baggage of any sort and the widest possible or of very specific things that have nothing to do with what you do they help you tremendously and today that we hire people and we hire you a lot. You know, people usually try to come to you with credentials of what they've done mm. of what you do, you know, fashion show production or show you that they're great at producing and like, well, if you're going to apply to production, it's the least of, you know, you, you, it won't come to me unless there's obviously enough credentials and whatever. But the only I'm interested in, uh, usually the only thing I'm really interested in is the bottom lines of those curriculums where you see those very specifics to personalities of people that have passion mm -hmm. or have studied many years, something that is completely irrelevant to what they are today yeah. and precisely what will make them completely personal and different. And it's usually everything that has nothing to do with what we do today. 
So I still believe it's right, and I still believe it's something everyone should take. Should they have the, 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 the capacity to take the time to study, to do? And now that we're entering a new revolution age, where obviously technology will take over a lot of the things we've learned to do. Uh, artificial intelligence is going to do much better a lot of the things we've, we're still doing. I think more than ever, if you're going to study today, you might as well study for no, no other thing than your enjoyment and your cultural baggage. Because the truth is, there's a lot of the things that, that are taught today that we're not going to be doing anymore, that they're yeah. not going to be doing anymore the kids of today so they might as well do you know learn something else you've told us that you're basically self-taught and in a way your job is self-invented it's certainly very unique can you talk us through your creative process when a designer comes to you and says i want to put together a show i want to highlight my collection how do you how do you make his ideas come to life can you take us through the the genesis of a fashion show one of the things that's amazing about fashion show making as we do here is that they're obviously all different because they're based on the personalities of the fashion designers and the houses we work with and we luckily have not only amazingly talented clients uh, but we also at a point in our lives where we kind of choose them in the sense that we, we are able to say yes or no, not by snobbery, just because we have better fits when you meet people, but also which is within the realm of every brand and designer we work with, we want to make sure we keep a, 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 an equilibrium of very different types of talents and very different types of brand and make sure we can help them define their own identity without ever overcrossing the other that we work with as well. So having said that, there isn't a fixed formula of the way we start a show and the way we have a collaboration. We start a show differently in every brand with every designer based on the type of collaboration and the type of situation we're in and also the type of character they are. Uh, what usually happens, what I can say is that, first of all, a fashion show, I say it often, but it's true, more than a fashion show to me, a show is part of the... A fashion show is one of the most important uh, uh, means of communication of a brand. Uh, it is the first mean of communication of the collection, but more than even that, because there are many of them, a fashion show is uh, one part of the global communication history of the brand. So when we do a show, we do a part of that history. We never do a show to do one show. We've never actually accepted to do one show. Mm -mm. And we've never do one show only for a brand. When we accept to work with a designer, when a designer mm -hmm. reaches us and says, we want to work with you, we first meet, we see if we you know, can be agreeable to each other, if we <laughs> understand each other, <laughs> if we believe it's a good match. Uh, and a good match doesn't mean we we agree, actually, or a good match doesn't mean that we're similar. A good match is a good match for many, can be a good match for many different reasons, just like in life. Um, but the truth is, what we always say is that, you know, if we're going to start something together, we want it for a long time and we've luckily managed to apply that to the way we work and to our lives and we have worked now for many many years with designers and houses and sometimes we go with the designer in the next house and we stay in the house as well and as an example we have worked with Dior for over 20 years now mm. uh, and we did all the years of John Galliano well not all a couple of years into John he called us but we did years with John Galliano and then with Ralph Simmons and now with Maria Gretzky Curie which is amazing but also we've done uh, uh, in a very wide array and and, and, and of different types of designers from over 20 years with Michael Kors to now over 10 years with Rodarte to uh, Isabelle Marant to all the ones we work with today are very long relationships. But can I just cut in here because there's something that I wonder about because sometimes you start with them when they're already really established brands like Dior, okay? one of the oldest houses in Paris. Yeah. But sometimes it seems to me you start 
when they're really young. Yeah, like, often. Like Simon uh, Jacquemus was very young when you started working mm -hmm. with him. Again, I mean... Uh, I mean, he can't I, have had the budget that Dior no, did No, 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 and we always do, and, and we, but we have a lot, and we still do. There's always... Uh, uh, well, first of all, I believe that it's always important to, uh, A, help the young designers, B, yeah. for the sanity of the team and for the excitement of the team and mine, it is great to help young talents, yeah. and also because when there's no money, I mean, this is kind, there's no rule in what I do, as I said, mm. but there are a few things that are repetitive in situations. When young houses and young designers come with no budget, in exchange what they give us is complete freedom, complete creative freedom. Mm. A lot more, not only because they give it to us, but by essence, a young house has more freedom than a very, very large house. By definition, uh, the agenda is more open and the house is still in its early stages of its formation, so it can take chances, it can make mistakes, it can experience things that get harder and harder to do when you're sitting at the top of a house that makes billions. Yeah. By definition, it's, it's a way too large responsibility. Uh, fashion show, as I said earlier, is the first tool of communication of the season. It's a huge responsibility, uh, not just for us, for the house, for everyone. Uh, it's a big cost. It's, and they're big proportionally. When you're very small and you have no money, all of your money goes into the show. So even if it's very little for, for us, it's actually a lot for them. And when you're a large house, like the house of Dior or Saint Laurent, for example, they work with, it's a huge expense, which is the realm of the expenses of the year. And therefore, it's an even bigger responsibility. You can't you, mm. can, you can go wrong I mean there's it's a it's a one-time chance I mean I touch wood have some in front of me uh, uh, I think if you fact up a show one day really that's it you can go I mean I always say to you know all the team and myself you know that they will all go to the mountain and make cheese <laughs> Monica Monica and I both attended the Jacquemus 10 year anniversary show in the lavender field oh, you came to that it both was the, amazing it was one of the best things I think we've ever experienced in fashion and I think the, the like images, not being nice it was insane. insane yeah and the images are so iconic now I, I think it can be credited as one of the most yeah, memorable yeah. fashion shows yeah, of all time yeah and yet it's as you said it was in the middle of nowhere in a lavender yeah. field it was not only in the middle of nowhere but it was middle but 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 it was out of all context of fashion weeks there, yeah. there was, yeah. it was it was whenever wherever on a Monday if ever, well I remember the email coming uh, in it was like would you like to get the train on a Monday to, to come to the Oh, and I was like, yes. I'm glad. I'm very glad you did, and you were Out part of the, of the happy few because there were only very little, as it you was, may recall. I mean, it was it was about 500 people, but only very small amount of these 500 were actually what I call a traditional and professional fashion show audience, as such as yourselves. It was very very few, and, for and that nevertheless. Reason. It became iconic, as you say now, and, and immediately buzzed as an extremely successful fashion show on, on online and on Instagram, obviously. But the party was also just, it was incredible, the after party that you created in the field. It was like being at an insanely intimate wedding. We danced for so long. Yes. And I think that's what made it so special. Yeah. Because the way people talked about exactly. it, it's as if you'd gone to Simon's wedding. <laughs> yeah, exactly, I was going to say, because it was extremely sincere. And people today want sincerity everywhere and in everything. Yeah. But it's funny, I have a lot of great experiences attending some of your shows because when uh, I attended one of Vaccarello's first shows for Yves Saint Laurent, I remember we got told that it was going to be super special and we didn't know what to expect. And we arrived at Trocadero and there we were in front of the Eiffel Tower and it was totally black. It didn't have its lights on. So and everybody lucky, was right? so surprised. They were like, the Eiffel Tower doesn't have its lights on. What's going to happen? And eight o'clock came and went on the clock and the, the, the Eiffel Tower didn't flash. You know, it, no. it sprinkles, it, it, it shimmers, it shimmers. 
and everybody kind of looking at each other and like, what's happening? What's happening? And then Lenny Kravitz ran in late. Yeah. So we thought, oh my goodness, they're waiting. Someone has got the button to turn on the lights. Alex is holding the button of the Eiffel Tower lights and it's not turning on. He sat down, another minute went by and then suddenly the music of the show started blaring out and the Eiffel Tower just lit up and it was insane. I think everybody kind of cheered. Amazing. Yeah. Very iconic that moment. Was but even for me, I mean, as I said earlier, I had, I had the chance, in my whole I had body. The chance yeah. to grow up in front of the Eiffel Tower in a 15th century this one of Paris, oh. kind of further uh, further away, but in a, in a modern, in a 70s building at the top of which, you know, ninth floor, from which from my bedroom I could see Eiffel Tower. So I did spend time dreaming of that place and spending time on that place. And I have to say that when we started working, with, well, we started working with Anthony from the beginning of Anthony. So we did his, his brand, which we did amazing shows together. And then when he called us to do Saint Laurent with him, of course, we were very, very happy. And when we together got the uh, fountains of the Trocadero and the vicinity with the Eiffel Tower, of course, it became a big deal that we could, we wanted to play with it. It took us a while to get to, to get to that control moment that we had of <laughs> getting, as you said, the button to actually decide on when the Eiffel Tower is going to flash and, and, and change its color. But how? How do you talk? Who do you have to take to lunch to get control of that I'm button? I'm give you all my secrets. Oh? And in that case, I have to say it's all credit to my team because they, they're the ones taking to lunch. Now. Okay. Uh, I have an amazing team and an amazing client in that case. And between, you know, I have to say, between the House of Saint Laurent and the wonderful powers, powers there and the other wonderful powers we have here at Brevetag, they together yeah. managed to convince the authorities to let us do that. Right, and the Picasso Museum, was that easy to convince or...? Uh... Uh, I mean, nothing is easy. And, and I guess I am, um, I don't know, I guess I'm quite lucky that I never believed in easy. I mean, I, mm. as, as a kid already, I never believed in easy. I said I didn't work much, but nevertheless, I didn't believe in easy. One can go with the other. But more than efforts, I think today we have a chance that we've well, we've done quite a few things that were regarded as quite impressive or successful, successful from different points of view. It led us to hold a position in many cities, because not just in Paris. We, we, we work a lot in New York, work a lot mm. in, uh, in LA, work a lot in Shanghai, in Beijing, in You have an Hong office Kong. in Shanghai. So Paris, New York, Shanghai. Yeah. Uh, so we work a lot, in, a lot in Asia from Shanghai office and the rest of the offices. A lot in America and in Europe, obviously, and a bit everywhere else. I mean, we started Morocco this year. As mm. You guys came? I was here. Right? Yeah. We managed to reach a point in our lives here at Brevetac where we have a better chance at opening doors that never were open before because when they even come to us now, people at the Ministry of Culture, at the city, or in many types of organizations and associations now understand that we can do something that even though we do it for the benefit of a brand and it's a commercial job, uh, we may help that we can do it, first of all, with the biggest respect, cultural and historical respect to where we go to, but also we can help highlight a new point of view mm. in those places mm. and that we're in a new world and in today's world, you want, you want everyone in the world, you want the, the young, younger generations to look up to historical places with a new eye and I think everything that's been seen a million times before in a certain way deserves being changed and deserves being seen, mm. uh, seen a different way and that's what we try to do when we bring a fashion show or an event into a cultural place place like or an iconic monumental place like the Eiffel Tower or like we did um, God the list is long but we, we did amazing thing in the, in the Red Square in Moscow we were the first one to succeed building uh, what we, we, we like to call it a box at Brebetag but basically a huge thing in the middle of the Red Square which others which I will name had failed before we built a gigantic mirror box for Dior on the Red Square and we did it in a way that was respectful and culturally acceptable and, and we managed for that reason we did things in the middle of the 
Forbidden City in Beijing. We did things on the Boon in Shanghai. I think we were the first and last to do that. Oops. We did things, obviously, in the middle of the Louvre. Not that we were not the first ones to do that, but what we did when we did, like, the Mountain of Flowers with Christian mm. Dior in oh, the Louvre with Ralph. That was amazing. We, we managed to convince going higher than we had ever been and that no one had ever gone because we were going to do something that we were going to tie the Louvre into and that we were going to let open the view to the, from the public for the setup and we would let the dismantling open to view of the public and even the, 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 the giving of the flowers upon dismantling that mountain of flowers. So it became something that the Louvre and its audience participated in, into as well. And that's something that's really important to us. Same thing when we do Saint Laurent, the fountains of the Trocadero. Would you say that things are easier here in Paris because fashion is so... So, has such a yeah. big place in culture. You know, it's it, it, it's taken seriously here, I think. Well, it's no. a big part Perhaps. of the French economy. Really. Exactly. No, I would say no? it's the opposite. Oh, really? Be very frank. Ah. Unfortunately, I would have thought Paris the has been the hardest place in all the places in the world we work in to be able to get stuff that was hard to get. Yeah. Bloody typical, because it? fashion is fashion, because uh, there is a very old-fashioned way of looking at things and at fashion politically and financially in this country, that a lot of fashion houses are badly seen by the global public and that France culture doesn't sell in, unlike America or Asia. So you cannot buy anything here like you can, True. I have to say, often in America or in Asia. You can buy your way in. You can buy your way in. Here you cannot buy your way in. And in fact... But on some level, that's pl- a nice thing about French culture, that you can't amazing. buy your way in. That's what I'm saying. I mean, obviously, right. everything has pros and cons. And the truth is, A, it's amazing because it gives an, 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 a global better educated and cultural place that we have the chance to spend time in and to share with people that don't only share it because they can afford it, but just because they're attracted culturally by it. I guess the other plus, in a way, is that we still can make you discover discover new places because it's taken decades to manage to get (laughs) them to say yes to use them. Uh, Literally, there are places, I mean, we spent, when when the Grand Palais was closed for over 10 years the first time before reopening, and we were then during, we were on their back the entire time for over a decade to manage to be the first day when it would reopen. Uh, uh, Same with everywhere. It takes forever. So Paris is very, very hard. But it's getting better in the sense that the authorities understand that it's not just selling into the bad powers of the fashion groups and the high capitalism only. It's actually using their creativity and their outreach to maybe give those monuments and that culture another understanding and another read and another exposure. We also, I mean, another thing we we pioneered and and I'm very proud of, I mean, it's very betaxing as it's another adjective here, obviously. Um, We kind of invented many years ago what we call the mirror box, uh, which is yes. a thing we've done a lot, and I love playing with that. But one of the reasons I invented that mirror box was, was over 15 years ago, the first time, was that I could create something gigantic with the least possible negative interference with the city or with the surroundings. Oh. Uh, by definition, if you do it well, a mirror box will mirror its surroundings and will annoy less. And then once you've done it perfect the first time, then you can, which we've been doing now for over 15 years, you can play with it. For anyone who's um, never seen this, type on Google, Bidek mirror box. It's quite extraordinary. And I will point out that there's one in your office. But the mirror box is something, I mean, I think the first time I did it was with Jill Sander, then with Christian Dior for many years, but also with Salo. I mean, it's something we've often played with as a creative tool to also help convince doing something somewhere that normally no one could, uh, such as the, the Red Square. The Red Square, we built mm. a gigantic 
antique diffracted mirror box. And we sold it to the authorities by saying we will provide a new point of view on the Kremlin and on San Basil and on the Red Square in general. And we will try to make it least possibly a commercial, unlike others had done before us. We actually, with all due respect, and with we, we built we built for weeks. I mean, when does this big thing that take weeks to build? But we put up the Dior logo only an hour before the show opened. Mm. Uh, so for the rest of the time, it wasn't advertising. It was literally a present to the town of a diffractive vision of that red square that everyone knew differently and, and could appreciate and share. And that's a very important thing that we do everywhere today. Well, I think that's certainly the right approach to take with the Russian authorities. Yes, but same with, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and, and again, it's, it's something in general. I think that the fashion world has the means and the powers now to travel and we try to do it as much as possible. It is a, a, a right and a, and a power that needs to be well used and, and we make sure we use it this way. You're saying that sometimes a set can take weeks to build and you've also emphasized how expensive a budget it is for a fashion house to put on these amazing productions. Can you talk to us a little bit about the ongoing concern now that has started recently? When we come in to watch a show, it probably lasts for a little less than an hour. The whole beginning to end experience. And from a sustainable point of view, people will argue that what you're building is something that actually is basically going to be destroyed after the show. I know that, for instance, for the Dior show this year, you worked on creating a more sustainable set. What are your thoughts on how to become more sustainable in terms of set design in the future? I mean, that could be a... It's topic in its a own. Monster so it's, question. So, yeah, it's a monster I know. question. Is monster that the start question. of the sustainability program? Obviously, yes. The first answer is yes. Sustainability is a huge issue in our world, and it's a huge issue in my world and in my life. And it has been for an incredibly long time. In fact, we've been working for over 10 years now on the topic and on starting to calculate our carbon footprints, on trying to uh, offset our carbon footprints when we could. We started a few years ago, for example, uh, with a few of our first, our biggest clients like Saint Laurent and Dior. We have a sustainability person. We have a team actually now. We have a program. We, I can say very proudly, but I'd love to speak more in depth about that later when it will be completed. In uh, February, we'll be the first agency in the world that does fashion shows and luxury and fashion events to get the uh, ISO 2121 norm, which is the international norm of eco-consciously making ephemeral events. So other agencies in the world applied and have that in other wo- in other businesses, but within the world of fashion and luxury that we're in, we will be the first one to do that. We've worked on that for years. That means that we basically will comply with international necessi- necessary sustainability, respectable manners of doing what we do, which is very specific, as you say. It's ephemeral and it's very short and it uses a lot of mm. everything, of energy, of things, of goods. We worked for the past few years already and quite behind the scenes until we get to a certain point that we'll be ready to share next year. We're basically working on technologies. We've addressed it with all of our resources and vendors. We do the build-ups in the most sustainable manner. There is no single-use plastic on anything Brobetac related ever anymore. Not just what you see at the show, obviously, because that would be the beginning, but even all the backstage and all the process. When mm. we spent three weeks building at Trocadero, for Saint Laurent, or at, uh, it was in Longchamp, the last one for Dior. There is, from the, 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 the catering of, this, of, the, of the setup teams, all the way to down to the energy, for example, that we use. Now we managed to convince the city to provide us, we pay for it, of course, but to provide us green energy 
we can buy in France and we can in America in some places buy cabled green energy for the city instead of using generators. Before, on where we cannot do that, now instead of using fuel generators, we use uh, colza oil generators. Like we've changed a lot of that. We've changed the entire light array to LED and that to less consumption LED. We've changed our sound systems. We've changed absolutely everything mm. and we're revolutionizing it with our vendors that we bring into the program with us and say, okay, if you want to continue to work with us, we want to do it like this. We want to reduce and reduce and reduce. We will never get to zero. There will never be a zero carbon footprint fashion show as so many try to say, to say they do. However, we can do the best we can. Mm -hmm, we can bring course. it down to as much as, as low as we can. And once we get there and parallel to getting there, we can also obviously help convince and find new ways to carbon offset the carbon footprint we leave. So it's the two things. One is to try to spend the least possible and the other is obviously to try to offset in intelligent ways what you can or to upcycle rather than recycle. Those are really long topics. We work together with an association called Colo we managed together with the association to make sure we could trace the origin of every single tree. Every single tree came from no more than 100 kilometers away from Paris, which is why the selection was purely a mix of Mediterranean influences that managed to survive in Ile-de-France and what you more normally see in the country around Paris. And we made sure they go somewhere and they are tracked and tra traceable, all of them, uh, no, no further away than that again. And they all had a destination and the show was just a little way through for storytelling. And we made sure it was done exactly like that. So it was it was really in depth, I mean, that show. And aside from the show, the topic of the show became that, so that if we're going to do things sustainably, as we start to do everywhere, again, we said originally a fashion show is a hugely loud communication mm. tool. It has a responsibility, therefore, and it can address topics that matter. And when it does address a topic that matters, such as this one, it can do it better and, 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 and more loudly than many other people, because we, we mm -hmm. as, as, as a showmakers Probably. know that we do things with a gigantic outreach. We dedicate our life to create 15-minute moments that actually cost millions yeah. and that use weeks and hundreds of people and weeks of build-up for 15 million minutes that essentially serve the only purpose of promoting a commercial good that is completely unnecessary and unsustainable, yeah. it's really, really bad. So instead of, I mean, one option would be to say, okay, we stop. We stop fashion shows, we stop fashion weeks, and we go make cheese, as I said earlier, and we'll be <laughs> more responsible. I love the idea of but, uh, you making cheese yeah, like right? a top mount MC. Yeah, or further down. Further down. Uh, good cheese, it would be. La ferme bétac. But la, la ferme, ferme bétac, bétac. <laughs> it will come one day, trust me. Trust me. But no, what I want to say that I think when, I mean, there are a lot of important topics and where, when you're at a point in your life and your career where you have certain power, because we do have that, obviously I think our role and, and our devoir, how do you say, our, 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 our well, duties. Homework, but duties. No, but our duty yeah. is not to stop doing what we know we do wrong. Yeah. But on the contrary, to change doing what we know we do wrong, yeah. to doing it as well as can, and to use the powers we have in doing so by, 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 by communicating and, 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 and raise the awareness and the awareness of the solution. We've been reading about the problems every day. We hear it every day. It's a real problem. A climate change and sustainability is a real problem. But I think now it's about using the communication powers we have to bring in the solution, which is what we want to do with the manifesto. We want to bring in the solution to do well and best and better what we know to do. And what we know to do 
in our cases, it's fashion shows or events for luxury. The techniques we use can be the same for any ephemeral event for any industry in the world, which is what it is that we want to, you know, that we want to share. Well, the fashion show has changed, but this continues on from this. Basically, the fashion show, you've seen it change because of you directly. Some of it just in terms of the democratization of fashion, as we were talking about. I mean, now there's like influencers in the front row as much as editors. Don't know how you feel about that. You don't have to comment if you don't want to. But... I feel great about that. The yeah. only new audience there is. I mean, I feel great. Again, it's a longer topic yeah. if you yeah. go in depth and it deserves yeah. going into depth. But I feel great by the fact that there are there is a, a renewing a little bit of the audience. Uh, not that I'm unhappy with the old audience. I think that it's just it's just interesting. People, the fashion world promotes use and has always lived on use, uh, on very very young models and on on in general very young talents. And it's funny. I mean, and if you look around me, my office is in very big parts, like many other fashion related companies, probably full of incredibly young talent. Nevertheless, the authorities of the fashion world are exactly the same since the day I started. <laughs> when I was 17 years old and I started looking at shows and I started making or thinking of making shows and at 18 I started doing my first shows which is over 30 years now. Wow. The people in the front row are still here and God bless them. I'm very happy to like see Susie them. Like Susie Benkins. We know each other very well so obviously like Susie. God Anna, bless you Susie. Emmanuel. And, and, but exactly even the, the even the young ones were they of course Emmanuel and I know each other since That's we were true. kids because I grew up in Paris obviously. Yeah, so I mean, Paris, you know. Paris, yeah. But 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 not just that. What I'm trying to say is that fashion world is an almost too uh, loyal world, unlike what everyone thinks, because if yeah. you look at your first shows, they are the same. Partly for that reason, some of that revolution that we need hasn't really yet happened, because it's the same people, and they're not that young. I have been advocating, as you know, and I've said it a lot lately, for a complete revolution of the fashion show world, not just the right. fashion so world. Right, so this is what I was leading on to. Where do you want it to be in 10 years, in 15 years? Not in 10. I, mean, I, don't, say, I don't want to wait 10 years. I want to do Five, I'm working at doing it much faster than yeah. that. I think that obviously the change of guard, the change of audience and the rise of technology, or, or rather the technological advances, lead us now to completely revolutionize. In addition to the problems that it creates in terms of sustainability and, 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 and the need of those businesses to grow differently, to remain sustainable, all of that put together leads us to what I call the revolution of now, which is, I think that the fashion week as we know it, where the constraints are the same since 50 years of the same international audience that yeah. needs to be in the same room at the same time in the center of the same town because there is another fashion show for the same people one hour before and one hour after because all this was built on the fact that you needed to show six months in advance to a buyer that needed to buy and then you could produce yeah. and then put in a store and to a journalist that needed to, to digest and then shoot and then print and then put in the kiosk all this is gone and we know it. Written press as we know it is dead yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. It just needs to reinvent itself digitally with the same talent and the same creativity on a different media, that's mm. all. And long-term fashion buying is not dead, but it is because fashion interest comes with shorter uh, sessions and quicker drops, as we call them. So no one waits for six months in effect to see and to want to buy what you see. Fashion show of a thousand people that are the same everywhere in the world, the technology now gives you better access than even if you were on a, on a first show, which only few are. So the truth is, I strongly believe that no one needs to do everything. None of this fashion... I, I, I believe that there's always going to be a professional fashion audience made of journalists, influencers, and whatever new names will find them. But it doesn't yeah. matter. There will be an audience that needs there. I believe that in order for a luxury brand and even a lifestyle brand 
to make you dream, to make dream its audience so it wants to buy its product. And also that hopefully and probably will change for sustainable reasons. Uh, the product itself will change, but you still need to make them dream to get something they don't have. At the end, okay. that's what we do. We create a dream so that you can access it through buying part of that dream we've created. We, in order to make you dream, I think that we need to do something live. If we only do virtual, we're not, we're not going to make you dream anymore. If everything you see online is a showing of something that never happened, that is only virtual, you're going to stop looking at it. And it's definitely not going to make you dream. However, I do believe that you don't need to be at all of them. I think that for that reason, fashion shows will continue to exist in a live manner. But as you said of the Jacquemus show, or you said of the Dior show, or the Saint show, to take three examples, they are amazingly amazing live events that make people dream even of just seeing what is left of them on social media as digital content. They will continue to happen a lot because brands nurture themselves and their audience with that. However, I think that the traditional fashion week format of the same people in the same city at the same time will yeah. have to change. Amen. It has, the, yeah. it has the, the, the grounds to change. The technology is such that you don't need to go at every one of those shows anymore. You meaning everyone, everyone mm. that comes to these shows don't need to come at all of them. I think to some of them, yes. But if you miss a season or two, if you miss a city or two, it no longer matters. FOMO yeah. is good. Let's yeah. promote FOMO. You know what? <laughs> and, the joy uh, of missing out. Yeah. The joy of missing out. <laughs> you're missing out, but you're not. You're as informed as if you were there. You will appreciate it much more the next time you go, hopefully, mm-hmm. because you missed out one or two. I think mm. if you're out of the fashion circuit of fashion weeks, you will be happy to go back. Just like anything else you stop going to when you go back to. Yeah. Uh, it will give joy to the audience and it will give more than anything what I'm trying to get to. It will give us a new start. Us, which is the people who create those fashion shows and events. It will give us, for first time, a brand new start of reinventing and revolutionizing the way we do it. It means we could go anytime, anywhere, to anyone. And that is completely revolutionary. We started a little bit with the cruise shows a decade ago already, but only a handful of the ones who can afford do those large shows abroad and they cost a lot. And it's still the same audience. Jacquemus was probably the first show of what I'm saying. Yeah. It was anywhere, anytime and to whomever in the sense that there was a, a, a small portion that was the traditional professional press and influencers and fashion audience. Yeah, look at the Another impact. big portion that was people that were there and friends and lovers and you name it, anyone with appreciation and, 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 and a large mm-hmm. amount of his family and his friends from where he grew up. And that made for a completely different type of show because it has it had all of that. It had that new creativity, that new sincerity, mm. that novelty of where and when, that novelty of who is there. And, and and not just because he was beautiful and he's amazingly talented, but because of all of that, it became the, icon, the iconic show it is. Agreed. And I think that once we start dismantling the fashion weeks, when we start convincing the brands, because that's our role, that it will be as efficient, if not more, to come out of Paris and New York, London or Milan. We started shuffling a bit. We convinced Redate to come to Paris once and then that to go LA. Yeah. We uh, started moving from London shows to New York and some New York shows to Paris. But that's just the beginning. I think now we need to go mm. much further and the, the and we need the blessing of the houses and the blessing of the press. That's you have the... our blessing. Good. Yes. Thank please, you. Please dismantle fashion <laughs> please. We are. You we're were always a disruptor and, can... and this would be the best disruption yet. Exactly. The well, world we're, really we're, needs we're, it. We're working strongly on doing that. Good to know. Trust me. So basically, if you accept, you have to answer whatever first comes to your mind. It's like the quick fire round, okay? Oh, really? Yeah, Are you yeah. ready? Okay. Don't think, okay. just say. Okay, funnest project you've ever worked on? Oof, God, it's very hard. Uh, I'm, I'm reaching like, 1,500. The funnest... Uh, 1,500. 
Yeah, we're reaching 1,500 soon projects. So I think the funnest, I mean, you're going to say I'm too politically correct, but probably, hopefully, most of those 1,500 were were fun and the funnest isn't yet, hasn't yet arrived. Still yet yet to come. come. It's still yet to come. That's why I'm sitting here with you. And once you leave, I'm going to go back to my work (laughs) to start creating more with my team. Good answer. The most challenging. The most challenging. um, I've had a lot of challenges. I mean, from, my goodness, from trying to invent on reinvent or reinvent big brands, you know, every time there's a big change, like 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 Dior after uh, when John Galliano sadly uh, uh, left by force Dior, then that was a gigantic challenge altogether okay. with the heads of Dior and, and, and ours to see if we would continue together to challenge ourselves and to help find a solution to a change such as this one. Uh, uh, but in the same way than it is when you start with a brand new designer and you think to yourself, okay, the world doesn't need a new fashion brand. So if you accept to help someone launch a new fashion brand, we have the challenge of why and we give them the challenge of why and that's the biggest challenge always. Wackiest, most eccentric project you've ever done? There, there are a lot. I, mean, <laughs> I think I've taught put chicken on runways and try to tell chicken. them how to walk straight. Chickens! <laughs> put people on, yeah, yes. We, I mean, I've done, I've done horses, I've done chicken, I've used dogs, I've used vultures. Uh, vultures, that's quite scary. It's quite scary, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've used crazy technology. Uh, I've made romantic uh, guitar players and singer fly 90 feet above ground on computerized fast-tracked uh, uh, flying devices. Uh, there's been quite a lot of those, <laughs> quite a lot of those crazy challenges. What's your best fashion memory? To be like your first question. I mean, I have many of them. I, Doesn't have to be show related. I, 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 I want to think that uh, the best is still yet to, to come. come. Yeah. But many of them are best. And I've, I mean, I could feel a book. I did a book two years ago, but it's more images. I think the next one would have to be words of all those crazy memories. Paris or New York? Well, right now, Paris. Rome or Milan? Rome. And what, last question, is your signature go to look? Pink with yellow dots and a lot of feathers in my hair. <laughs> it's not the blue glasses. I guess it was. It was the it was the, the mohawk for many 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 years, and I guess it's my blue glasses. Well, I've interviewed you three times. I've had the privilege to interview you three times for three different projects, and every time you've been wearing the blue glasses. Well, I actually wear them. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> so I the signature look day. is the blue glasses. <laughs> and they're great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, thank Alex. You, thank you. You're very Coming welcome. on Fashion No Filter. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, 
at Plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Thank you so much to Alexandre de Betac for coming on and to all of his team at Bureau Betac and Bureau Future. Uh, it means so much to us. And to all the rest of you, thank you for tuning in once again. And if you like us, show us. Please rate and review on iTunes. And you can also DM us on the at Fashion No Filter Instagram account mm. where we're always happy to answer your questions. Actually, as we did before, we are happy to, to become your fashion agony aunts. Yeah, I loved the last week's question so send us more and we'll try and give you a good answer until next time hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.